This is the Child Welfare Information Gateway Podcast, a place for those who care about strengthening families and protecting children. You'll hear about the innovations, emerging trends, and success stories across child welfare, direct from those striving to make a difference. This is your place for new ideas and information to support your work to improve the lives of children, youth, and families. Here on the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast, we get the opportunity to share what others working in various aspects of adoption, foster care, and prevention are doing or learning to improve outcomes, the improvements they've witnessed, and the lessons they've learned along the way. Many times, those whose stories we get to share are from agencies or organizations that learn those lessons as part of grants that they've been awarded by the Children's Bureau. And this is the first episode of a series where we're diving into an area that, well, frankly, we haven't spent much time talking about, Native American and Alaska Native tribes. Hi folks, Tom Oates here, and welcome into the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. So we're not only gonna spend some time focusing on tribal child welfare, but specifically, we're gonna look at how tribal courts are becoming more involved in child welfare. We're starting a series looking at work performed as part of the Children's Bureau's Tribal Court Improvement Program, awarded to tribes and tribal consortia to review how they handle child welfare cases, how they make improvements within their systems, and other efforts to serve tribal children and their families. Now, this has a lot of takeaways for state and local child welfare practitioners, along with state and local courts, not just tribal child welfare. So we're going to look at subjects such as improving working relationships with state child welfare and court systems, uh, how tribal courts are applying a family-centered approach to their child welfare proceedings and services, how tribes have become a resource for states to comply with uh, the Indian Child Welfare Act, and what tribal judges have done to revise and update their court's children's code to help define and communicate their proceedings and processes. So a lot to look forward to over the next few episodes. However, in this episode, we'll dive into how courts are preparing and adapting to take on child welfare cases. Many tribal courts do not address child welfare cases, leaving it up to the state or county courts who have to work with tribal social services. We're going to hear from two tribal courts about what they've done and are doing to take on this new role. The St. Regis Mohawk tribe is in far upstate New York, in the Adirondack region on the St. Lawrence River, and part of New York's border with Canada. Their tribal court improvement work has entailed expanding their civil court to include a family court system to handle child welfare cases, moving away from having those cases handled by the courts within Franklin County, New York. Now, while the tribe's civil court has, for a long time, operated a a drug court called Healing to Wellness Court, uh, they are taking on child welfare cases, and this has created a new triangular relationship around child welfare between the tribal court, the Franklin County Court, and the tribe's Division of Social Services. Judge Carrie Garrow is the chief judge, and she oversees the Healing to Wellness Court, and now she's overseeing the new family court. Her responsibility has been to help build the tribal court's capacity and lead the development of a structure that can hear these additional civil cases. We started our conversation by asking what were the biggest concerns she had about adapting to and taking on civil child welfare cases. 
think the first hurdle is, you know, building the trust that um, that we can provide the support for them because uh, the, the dependency case still right now stays in county court. Um, and it, and it's, um, which fortunately we had already started to build that relationship, uh, with our tribal DSS and also with the county, the judge, you know, knows us, you know, got knew the former chief judge. Um, and so, so building that relationship to, uh, you know, refer those cases over to us. And then, and then the hard part is to then to prove that we can be successful, which is hard in, in these types of cases. Um, especially a, a challenge because sometimes we get these uh, parents after they've already been, you know, recycling around the, the child welfare system and um, and dealing with substance abuse and they're, they're very frustrated and angry and dealing with addiction. And so they're, they're tough, tough cases, um, you know, to, to help get these parents, you know, into recovery and help them to, to stay sober and get all the, done all the things that they need to do to uh, be reunified with their parents. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's an ongoing process to even, you know, I remember going out, uh, uh, the family, uh, court judge invited me out to visit. They do have a family drug court for the County. And so, um, our, the coordinator had been there and visited it in the past. And I went out, uh, as well soon after I got on the bench, um, and just, you know, watch what they did and, and how they do it. Um, and just to, to build that relationship a little bit more. And what year did you, uh, did you go on the bench? So I started as chief judge, I have to think here, 2016. Okay. So when you mentioned about trust, was it, or has it been a bigger challenge to get trust with the county? or trust within DSS, within the tribe? Right. Uh, that's a good question. I, I think from my perspective, um, it's probably more so with the county. I think uh, when I got on the bench, um, you know, when, when I you know came on the bench and met with our tribal DSS, uh, you know, they had someone who had already been on our uh, adult team. Um, and so our coordinator already had a good relationship with them. And so, and then we took that, we're, we're doing some other kind of interesting things, building off of our family treatment court with our tribal DSS, uh, trying to, you know, help them service their families. Um, and so I think it's, it's probably more so with, with the county. And I think that's, you know, that's a historical relationship that's always been a, a little rough. It's not necessarily just because of the, of the people. Um, but you know, there's been a long history of, um, distrust between the tribe and the county. So there's not only those relationships that you talk about, you know, fostering that, but then there's also got to be a skill element too, and a knowledge base too. So, so for you and your team to make this, this leap, what did you guys need to acquire? How did you need to either change your approach or what did you need to, to learn to properly be able to, to address the civil cases? Right. I, I think for for us um, and something that that we've been trying to do is just uh, being more family focused, you know, as opposed to just you know focusing on an individual. And something we're still working on as well to make sure that we have the right people on the team. Uh, we go to a couple trainings every year and make sure, like at the National Drug Court Conference, you know, and I try to make sure that you know that I go to a couple of the the family um, tracks. Uh, because it, it is a, a, a bit different um, dealing with these types of cases. So what have you learned so far? It's been a couple of years now. Um, 
you know, the interesting thing is, is that I actually find these cases a little bit more challenging than being in criminal court. And I haven't, you know, I've talked to a lot of people about that and I'm not sure that I have figured out the reason why. Um, but, uh, I, and I think, um, I've also learned the importance of, um, having what they call an integrated, uh, docket where, so a lot of, um, family drug courts, even in the county system will be parallel. That means one judge is doing the dependency case and one judge is doing the drug court case. And, and we've even made that worse because now we're like two different sovereigns. Like, you know, we're doing the, the family treatment case and, and the county's doing the dependency case. And I think it's much easier on the families or somewhat easier on the families when it's, it's integrated. So one judge handles both the dependency case and the, the, the family treatment case. Um, because otherwise I think you end up kind of bouncing back and the parents end up bouncing back and forth and, um, you know, what happens in the dependency court doesn't always mirror what is best from a therapeutic perspective uh, for the parent. Whereas, you know, we focus less on punishment and more on therapeutic adjustments. Whereas, you know, if you're in a dependency court and you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, you tend to get punished. Um, and so it, it's, it's, that's been really emphasized to me is, and that's our goal one day to have a more of an integrated model where we're even doing the dependency cases, because I think it'll be easier on the parents. Is that part of the, as you mentioned, becoming more family focused? Was that something that you guys identified and, and, and really kind of put there and yeah. said, this is something we, we, we need to achieve and strive for? Um, I, in the last uh, couple of, probably the last year and a half, absolutely. You know, um, certainly being more family focused is certainly, you know, as you're talking around as in our staffings, you know, we meet once a week to talk about the participants is to make sure that we know uh, how the children are doing in addition to, to the parents as well. Um, and making sure that everybody in the family is getting the, um, the correct, uh, counseling or educational, um, training or assistance, whatever it is. Um, but yes, I think between, um, probably in the last year and a half, we realized that we really need to, um, focus on to make it really family focused. If we had both cases here, it would be a lot easier. You know, I'm curious because as you guys are embarking on this and, and you know, changing and adapting and growing, clearly there are a lot of questions and right. questions always tend to go up the chain. As the chief judge of the tribal court, who do you go to for answers? <laughs> it can be, you know, right. lonely at the top. <laughs> so who are you, who, right. you know, who are you looking for, for advice and for guidance and to bounce right. things off of? Well, that's what I love about um, healing to wellness courts, whether they're adult or, or family treatment, is that I always go to the to start with the team. You know, whenever there's an issue, you know, I love that I have a team essentially of experts, substance abuse, mental health, from child welfare, um, and law enforcement. And, and we spend a lot of time talking it out. Um, and then, you know, I think I've been very fortunate. I think as I've, you know, been to trainings and as I've done trainings myself, gotten to, to know a, a few people out in the field that I feel like I can go to and say, okay, we're dealing with kind of a tough issue here. Anybody have any advice? And I think that's one of the benefits of, of going to, to trainings is that you find, you know, uh, the experts who you can build a relationship with. And then when you have questions, you know, ask them. So after a couple of years now, let me mm -hmm. turn the tables here. What advice would you give 
mm-hmm. for a, a court trying to make a similar transition. Right. Um, I would definitely focus on making sure that you have a, a good, well-functioning team. Um, I, I was very fortunate when I came on the bench that I have a phenomenal team and they were already working really well together. You know, But I think we all know that teamwork is not always easy. We all have busy other lives, other jobs, other responsibilities. Um, and so I would definitely say to take the time to build that team, uh, develop your shared mission goals, um, and, and how you work together as a team, because, you know, there will all be dis- always be disagreements and people, uh, people will change as well. You know, people, uh, leave positions. Um, so I would definitely focus on, on that first. Now, as Judge Garrow in St. Regis Mohawk took the proactive steps and decision to embrace child welfare cases, Mashpee Wampanoag of Massachusetts started out a bit different. They had an emergency child welfare case that came to them. This prompted their tribal court to decide to move forward and expand their work to handle tribal child welfare proceedings. Coincidentally, Mashpee Wampanoag was also a Title IV-E planning grant recipient. So in conjunction with that work, the tribal court moved, like St. Regis Mohawk, to have tribal judicial and social services staff trained to take on this new work. When I talked to Vivian Boussier, the tribal court administrator, we began by laying out exactly who needed to be trained and the type of training required. Well, you know, the first party we had to train was the ICWA department, the caseworkers. Um, Even though they were aware there was an ICWA law, they didn't understand the ICWA law and how it worked for them. Because as participants in state court with one of our ch- one of our kids, they would just sit there in the back of the room, let the lawyer take care of everything. So they really didn't understand the process or why the lawyer did what she did. So we brought in one of our Supreme Court judges, um, Judge uh, Terry Yellowhammer, to train our ICWA people in the ICWA law, number one, so they would understand when they went to state court what was needed. And number two, our own child and family ordinance that we were developing because uh, to have cases in tribal court, they needed to understand and be educated around that as well. So we had a lot of trainings going on. We had another judge, Judge Madison, sit with them and go over some forms that they needed. Uh, We also had our legal component uh, go over. We had attorney Mark Tilden as um, one of our... uh, legal associates in the grant, he sat down with them and went over the ICWA law as well. A lot of training for them and our judges as well. We sent our judges uh, to trainings so they could learn about custody, you know, uh, different various things, various components of uh, child welfare when it comes before the bench. They needed to know um, that process as well and what to take into consideration and what to look for and, you know, what to expect from the status reports that came in from the ICWA department, what to look for. And how long ago did all of this start? Well, we started um, right from the minute we got the funding, uh, you know, doing this. We had done the CFO quickly prior to the grant. When the grant came in, that gave us the time to really sit down and go through those processes and start the education process. 
um, it was important that everybody understood what was going on and uh, become a unit so that it would go well. We have since had a number of transfer cases to tribal court. So, you know, we knew once we got one, we knew others would come our way. People prefer to have their cases in tribal court if we can take them. So what has been the difference so far now that now that these teams have started to become more educated and started to assimilate the process? What are you guys seeing? Well, now at the end of the grant, we see a lot of positive things coming out of this. Uh, number one, uh, the uh, Child Welfare Department, our ICWA department, knows the process. They, they're comfortable with the process now. So coming to tribal court or any court isn't as intimidating as it was before. They understand the law um, better than they did before. Before it seemed like they just were clueless. Um, they come to us if there's a question, you know, they have a question about the process, they will come to us and work with us. Uh, we're still working on the status reports. There still needs to be improvement in the status reports. But since um, we've received the Title IV-E planning grant, which also ended, um, they have been trained on how to input information and they have gotten a case management system, which is going to help them uh, with the process and the paperwork involved. So hand in hand of preparing your people. There's also the aspect of when you talk about learning the laws, being comfortable with them, you guys have been revising them along the way with, with the laws, the policies, and the codes. So talk to me about what you guys had to do to really review what you had, decide on the direction to go, and then actually do the work. What, what did all of that entail? It entailed quite a bit, actually. Uh, we were fortunate. We had a partnership with the Suffolk University Law School Indigenous Peoples Clinic, which meant we had a professor and at any one time, four to five students researching, working with us, uh, helping us develop. And um, that was great. We also had a legal component, which could go over and say, okay, do we have jurisdiction here? Will this work? What is the process here? Um, because we had to, um, even though we're a tribal court, we still had to have a process that would be respected by the state. Because I remember we had given a seminar and the state said to me, we brought him around our tribal court and one of the judges from the state said to me, and, uh, <clears throat> How do you handle your child welfare cases? Like we would do it any different because it's all for the, in the best interest of the child, obviously. But there's a perception out there that tribal courts don't do a good job. As far as um, knowing what to modify, what to change in the ordinance, I got a lot of good ideas from going to the NICWA conferences. Because when you go to a NICWA conference, you see these... Um, other components that other tribes have looked into and brought up and said, oh, wow, this is important for us as a people, as a culture. And um, we didn't have anything on grandparent visitation. And I had gone to a NICWA conference and I thought, wow, we don't have that in our child and family. We need to have that because grandparents in our tribe 
are very important. Our tribe uh, really reveres elders, and a lot of our grandparents uh, bring up their grandchildren. That's true in all tribes. I think you'll see it across Indian country where that's the norm. And so we looked into that. We had nothing about paternity. The only mention of paternity was in our enrollment ordinance. So we had to put something down for paternity. We also had to look at, um, which was a big controversy in our tribe, termination of parental rights. We don't want to do that really, unless it's absolutely necessary. So we spent a great deal of time looking at that in this ordinance because prior to the completed um, ordinance, it had been not really addressed and it had to be addressed, um, particularly when Title IV-E came into the picture. We really had to address it and how the tribe was going to handle it. You know, so there were lots of different aspects that came in um, that we had to reconsider when it came to our child and family ordinance. And that happened during the duration of the grant, those different things. And now that you have these finalized as best they can be right now, how helpful have they been to your staff, to the processes where you've got documentation to say, here's, you know, here, here's the line that's been drawn or here's what we adhere to? Not only is it clear because of what we've been able to add and because we've gone to our community and said, you know, what do you think? Is this important, you know, to you? And we've gotten a lot of positives on it and a lot of support around it. Um, and it's it's easy to understand, you know, even though it's quite long, I, I think it's like, I don't know, 40 some odd pages long. Still, any one of our tribal members could sit down, read it and understand it. And that's what we wanted because in our tribal court, most of our litigants represent themselves. So they need to understand the process. They need to understand what is and what isn't the law. So, and that was very important to us. Very few of our families go out and hire lawyers. Now, we just dipped our toes in the last few minutes there into a topic that we'll really explore in our next episode. That's how tribal courts are revising and updating their child and family codes. Stay tuned for that in our next episode, as we'll hear from two other tribal courts and how they went about reviewing and rewriting their codes and processes, and the interesting challenges that tribes face that state and county courts don't. If you head over to the podcast page over on the Children's Bureau's site, just head over to acf.hhs.gov cb and search podcast, we'll point you to the December 2018 issue of Children's Bureau Express. Now that's important because the entire issue focuses on the role of the legal and judicial community in improving outcomes for children and families. And while CBX focuses on all courts and we're spending time on tribal courts, there are plenty of nuggets to take away from, as are all the stories and lessons that we're hearing from on this series. So we'll also put up links to the Information Gateway sections with uh, resources for tribal professionals and information for those working with tribal families. A reminder, you can connect to Information Gateway at any time at childwelfare.gov. So thanks for being a part of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. My thanks to Vivian Boussier and Judge Carrie Garrow for their time. 
Look out for the next few episodes of this series focusing on tribal court improvement. For all of us here at Child Welfare Information Gateway, I'm Tom Oates. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Child Welfare Information Gateway is available at childwelfare.gov and is a service of the Children's Bureau, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Administration for Children and Families. Views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Information Gateway or the Children's Bureau.